Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. I'm excited you're here because today we're talking about core myths and some common beliefs that I want to question. Um, first, I just want to acknowledge if you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> um, you will see this little tent that I have set up around my microphone and it's to reduce the echo. <laughs> I am eventually going to invest in a real podcasting microphone. Maybe right after I record this, I'm going to go and buy a real microphone so I <laughs> don't have to like MacGyver my sound setup so that it's less echoey. But anyways, if you're watching on YouTube, that's what's going on. So welcome. Um, today I'll go through 10 common kind of core beliefs, core practices, and talk about my opinion of each. My hope is that you leave this podcast with more clarity about your core and how best to train your core. There are so many givens in the fitness industry and in the physical therapy world even. And as someone who is seeking to, you know, make this industry more science-based and more evidence-based and help people rather than hurt people, it's important for me to be constantly kind of challenging those givens and those beliefs that are so embedded deep within the fitness industry. And a lot of them tend to be about the core. Um, you hear about the core and how important it is, but no one, there's so much debate about how to train it. And I think that there's a lot of myths and a lot of things that don't really make a lot of sense, at least in my opinion. Um, so those are some things that I want to break down. And I am constantly challenging even my own philosophies because I'm always looking for different angles. When I find something that contradicts what I preach, I dig in, I try to learn it as much as possible because I think that, you know, I'm always trying to prove myself wrong. And I think that anyone who is smart and in this industry should be doing the same thing. And if I find something that goes against my philosophy and it makes sense and I want to adopt it. Awesome. I am, I have no problem like saying like, Oh, I was wrong about that and changing my philosophy, um, based on kind of what I learned. But oftentimes, you know, I'll see a conflicting point of view and I will dig in, I will learn about it and I'll say, no, I, I still think, I still think my point of view makes more sense. So, um, anyways, I just wanted to say that I'm always challenging things. I encourage you to always be challenging things. I think it's really important for our own evolution. So that said, I want to challenge some beliefs that are common about the quote unquote core. And remember that much of the messaging that you hear in the fitness world comes from marketing and what will sound sexy and appealing to a customer. Marketers found out that they could have a model or a, a fitness influencer, whatever, that was like jacked and it had a six pack, six pack abs, and that the six pack abs was super desirable for customers. And so they started selling programs that, oh, you, this is the core you can get if you do this program. And the, the program consisted of doing like sit-ups and crunches and bicycles like every single day. And if you just do this program, then you can get that six pack abs. But remember that many of these programs were sold by like bodybuilders, uh, you know, fitness people who work out and work on their body for a living. They are maybe not necessarily super educated, but they might have a combination of, you know, great genetics combined with that's their lifestyle is getting their body in as best of shape as they possibly can. Um, so a lot of those bodies remember are not super realistic and sustainable for people. 
And a lot of those people, and I've worked with some, some fitness people who that's what their job is and they look incredible, but they are so broken down and they get body work done constantly. They're paying thousands of dollars to be able to maintain their body and accelerate recovery. And a lot of them, I hate to say this, and I just posted this on Instagram. A lot of them are using performance enhancing drugs. Um, one kind of way to tell if you're using performance enhancing drugs is if, especially in women, if their upper body is like really ripped. And of course that's not everyone. Like some people really do work for it. Um, but a lot of people are getting some, you know, extra help with drugs that are boosting growth hormone and allowing them to recover faster, which means that they can work out harder. Um, so just keep that in mind that what you're sold and what you're marketed to, like, it doesn't mean you're going to do that person's program and look like them necessarily because they could have the help of drugs and they could be doing it for a living. So just a reminder that marketing is not necessarily science, but my point is that many of these beliefs come from these marketers who are trying to sell something, but they don't necessarily have the science or the understanding of the body to back it up. So if you aren't getting the results that you want, whether that be because you're in joint pain or because your workouts don't seem to be improving the strength, your strength, the way you think they should, like you're putting in the time, but you're not getting linear results given how much time you're putting into it. It might be a good time to reevaluate your routine and your beliefs. A good exercise program should slowly build your strength without hurting your body. And I think a lot of people see Evlo and they're like, oh, you're a physical therapist. That means that's just rehab. That's just like joint. That's just like injury prevention. And no, it's actually to build. It's actually fitness, right? So it builds your body up, but it doesn't do it at such a fast pace that your joints can't keep up with whatever you're doing to them and accelerates joint pain and joint degeneration and stuff like that. We work really, really slow, build muscle really, really slow, but sustainably. And that way, and that's not the only thing that we do in our method, but it's one of the, one of the things that I believe. And then that way your body is more fit, but your joints don't break down. So your workout program should not make you feel like crap. Joint pain should not be a common side effect of your workouts. Um, that's it. If it is, then it's time to take a look at your workouts. So let's talk specifically about the core. I think, um, core and back pain kind of are very intertwined together. And I'll talk about that a little bit here down the line, but if you're struggling with back pain and you're also doing a lot of core work, this might be a good episode for you to listen to. And even if you just want to have, um, a more functional, stronger core, this will be a good, which is probably everyone. (laughs) This would be a good podcast for y'all to listen to. So the core, quote unquote, is a common term in the fitness world, but it has various definitions and isn't very specific. So everyone kind of defines the core a little differently. So in this podcast, I'll use trunk and core kind of interchangeably. When I think about core, I think about trunk muscles. So basically all of the muscles in 360 degrees around your body from kind of below um, your chest to above your hips. So obliques, abdominals, back muscles, even kind of lats, um, quadratus lumborum, some deep 
Core muscles like pelvic floor, multifidus, transverse abdominis, those are all constitute your trunk or your core. So I'll use the term trunk and core interchangeably. Some people think, or some people use even like glutes, they throw that into the core. And just for the sake of this podcast, I'm not talking about glutes, I'm just talking about trunk. So there are many what I think are myths about the core that I would like to discuss today. And hopefully this will guide you towards making decisions about how to view your trunk and how to work and stabilize the muscles of your trunk in an effective way that doesn't also lead to back pain and other issues down the road. So before we dive in, I want to talk about an important term that will help you understand these myths a little better. And this is a uh, joint anatomy kind of physics term called opposite position loading. I haven't talked about that this concept in this podcast yet, so um, hopefully I don't lose any of you. This is a little bit uh, <laughs> it's a little bit more dense, but hang with me. And I'll use lots of examples, so hopefully it'll make sense by the end. But opposite position loading is when the resistance, so either a weight you're holding, gravity or resistance band or whatever the resistance is that you're using, your body weight, you know, could be own your your own body weight can be resistance since it's pulling you're pulling against gravity. So the resistance is pulling directly opposite of the origin and insertion of the muscle. So in other words, the resistance is perfectly loading that muscle. In order to perfectly load the muscle, you want opposite position loading. You want the resistance to be in the opposite direction as the muscle. So this is ideal for gaining strength in any muscle. If you want to gain strength in your muscles, opposite position load. And this is something that we do really well in Evlo. It's one of the reasons why you're able to build muscle so quickly. And it's also one of the reasons why it doesn't hurt your joints so much. So if the load isn't opposite in the opposite direction, the muscle won't be effectively loaded. So for example, a bicep curl. The weight, when you're doing a bicep curl, you're bending your elbow, bringing the weight towards your shoulder and straightening your elbow. The weight is trying to straighten your elbow, right? If you were just to let go of the weight, the weight would go straight down, your elbow would straighten. And the elbow is trying to bend it up using your bicep or using your elbow flexors. So that's opposite position loading, right? The weight is trying to pull you down, you're trying to pull it up. So that's an exercise that would be loading the bicep in the opposite direction that that bicep pulls. When we're talking about the abdominals, the opposite position loading would be any resistance that wants to pull your body backwards, almost like into a backbend or spine extension. The abs would have to work to resist that load, pulling your spine into a backbend. So hang with me. The most effective way to opposite position load the abdominals and thus work them the most effectively would be to lie on your back and crunch your body up right? Or if you're like using a cable machine, you could hold on to a cable. The cable could be trying to pull you backwards and you have to crunch in the opposite way. That would be opposite position loading. But most people don't have a cable machine at home. So crunches is the most effective way. So gravity again in a crunch is trying to keep your body from curling upwards or crunching. So your abs are opposite position loaded. Um, I think this is most effectively done when you have a ball or a pillow behind your back. And this is for several reasons. Um, number one, it's a little more stable on the low back. Uh, number two, it's a little less force through the abdominals. 
Um, a crunch tends to be a lot of force through the abdominals and through the neck, and it just tends to be kind of uncomfortable on people's necks. So I like to put a ball underneath. And then the third reason is so that you can really back bend over that ball and get the full stretch or the full length of the abdominals and then crunch up from there. So the best way I think to load your abdominals is in like a ball crunch, a ball behind your back, and you're rounding over that ball, back bending back. And again, we do that in my burn class every week. So when the abdominals are not opposite position loaded, they will not optimally strengthen. So when your torso is upright, when you're standing and you're straight up and down, your abdominals don't have to work against gravity, right? They're perfectly balanced. You can isometrically flex them and like brace them, but they aren't under much, if any load, external load. And remember external load is we want is what we want essentially to be able to load and make those muscles stronger. So to find out if you're optimally, um, working a muscle, ask yourself these two things. And this has to do with opposite position loading. Number one is the origin of that muscle moving closer to its insertion. So for the abs, the abs kind of insert like below the sternum area is the sternum moving towards your pubic bone or very low abdomen. Is that point moving towards that point? So that's the first thing to ask. A lot of people, uh, you know, isometrics are just bracing and holding. Yes, you can flex the abs, but it's not as ideal as moving it dynamically. And then number two is the resistance. So if you're holding weight or is it your body weight, whatever the resistance is, a band, is the resistance perpendicular or close to perpendicular to that line of force? So let me put it this way. And if you're lost, you can just tune out and then join me when I started on the first lift. But for those of you that are nerds and like to know this stuff, I think it's really interesting. So this is how I think about if the force is perpendicular to the muscle. So let's take the abs. Um, you draw a straight line or an imaginary line from the origin to the insertion of the muscle. So again, below the sternum to the pubic bone, you draw a line between those two points, an imaginary line. Now, we need to have a force that's perpendicular to that to that line or 90 degrees to that line. So that would be, if you think about it, a line kind of shooting straight up from my chest. So that would be a 90 degree angle. I need force coming from that direction. So how we have to do this is we have to lay on our back. Now the line is from my abs is parallel to the floor. And again, I've got that perpendicular line shooting straight up and that's gravity. So that's how the abs are opposite position loaded. When you're standing upright and you're just standing there, your abs are not loaded. So this is going to get important when we get into some of these myths, but just want to kind of break that down. <laughs> so opposite position loading, there it is. All right, let's get into myth number one. And this goes into opposite position loading a little bit. So myth number one is that balancing on unstable surfaces is great for your core. So let's use the example of sitting on a ball to balance or standing on a foam pad. And again, although you have to like bear down and flex in your abdominal muscles, I mean, you don't have to, but you can, a lot of people can or do it's receiving slight isometric benefit from that due to your nervous system, kind of sensing instability and flexing in order to like keep you upright you aren't getting much yield in the core from balancing on that unstable surface because there's no external load. Remember, cause you're just upright. Your torso is straight up and down. So there's really no external load onto those muscles. So in order to see substantial tissue changes and increase muscle mass, you have to place load through that muscle, external load through that muscle. And 
have that muscle resist that load. Again, we talked about that earlier, laying on your back and crunching up. That is opposite position loading. Standing and just balancing on a ball or on a foam pad, that's not opposite position loading for the abdominals at all. So when you're in that balancing upright position, your trunk muscles aren't under enough load to receive much benefit since they are parallel to gravity. So again, lay on your back and try crunches instead. However, some people will, if they've got, if you have back stuff, you might not be able to tolerate a ton of crunches right away. And that's okay. Maybe you just start with isometrics and gain awareness and gain stability in your core, um, in your trunk. And then you start to slowly add on. I think it's when people are like, oh, let's balance on this thing and do some bicep curls and do some lunges on this unstable surface. And like, that'll be really good for your core. And it's just not really good for your core because it's, it's not bad for your core, but it's just not really doing much for your core, if that makes sense. Okay. So myth number two, I have back pain because of a weak core. I have back pain because of a weak core. I hear this one all the time. And then people proceed to do like crunches and bicycles and sit-ups and other core work every day. And they overuse their abs and then they cause more back pain. And although it could be true that their back pain might be due to a weak core, Evidence shows that there's not a strong link between core weakness and lower back pain. And I'll put this study in the show notes. So this review that I, that I'll put in the show notes suggests that those who do long-term core stability routines are actually not less likely to have lower back pain. So if you're doing a bunch of core routines, this study is showing that doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting back pain. Now, that doesn't mean that you couldn't benefit from trunk strengthening. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't strengthen your trunk. I totally believe you should strengthen all of your muscles, but it's just suggesting that that might not be your solution and that might not prevent you from, or even fix your current back pain. So in addition to lacking evidence, there is confusion about what trunk slash core strength even means. So many of my past uh, PT patients, when I was in uh, clinical practice assumed that, um, lacking core strength meant that their abs were weak. And although this is true in some cases, it can't be assumed that just doing more crunches will help your lower back pain. Again, properly loading the trunk muscles in 360 degrees, not just your abs, but also your side body, your obliques, your back, your lats, that might be more beneficial than just like doing planks and crunches every day. And I actually find that many of my past physical therapy clients, when I was in clinical practice with lower back pain, they actually had relatively strong and connected abdominals, but their back muscles, like their paraspinal muscles, their rectus spinae, their lats were super weak and disconnected. And the evidence tends to agree with that too. So your lower back pain and tightness probably is a derivative of accumulating stress in a multitude of factors. It's probably not just because your core is weak and that doing more crunches will be the solution. The most common culprits of accumulation of stress in the body are ischemia or inflammation from often prolonged positioning. So sitting or standing for too long can cause ischemia or inflammation and um, cause pain in the low back. Number two is poor exercise programming leading to overuse or uh, doing exercises that are placing force through your back or a lot of compression through your spine. That can be a culprit for 
uh, stressing the spine and causing pain. And then not properly loading the trunk muscles. So choosing exercises that are never really loading your abs. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can just, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but people are like, oh, I can just flex my abs. And I'm always working my abs when I'm doing anything, any exercise. So I don't need to like take the time to work them separately. And I just think that that's a mistake. I think that we should target all of the muscles in our body, not just think that we can choose a few exercises and hit the ex- and hit the abs and the core with those few select exercises. Many of the Evlo members who come to my program with back pain end up feeling so much better and start to see their muscles grow after just like one month of my program. Because again, we are choosing those opposite position loaded exercises and we aren't overusing any muscle group. So I think if you have back stuff that just doesn't seem to go away, I would definitely try Avlo for a month. And I think that you'll see your muscles grow and you will feel better in your joints. Um, sometimes it takes a little longer than a month, but the month ten, one month tends to be kind of about the average time frame. And then of course, if you're still not feeling better, definitely go see a practitioner, see a physical therapist. Um, a lot of States, you can just call a physical therapist therapist's office and get right in. You don't have to have a doctor's referral. So if it's something that's just not going away, maybe you seek some help with that. Okay. Myth number three. So myth number three is that the core should be worked every day. And this is a big one. People think that like you need to work your abs and trunk muscles every day. And I think if you're truly working your trunk muscles to fatigue and properly loading them, they require rest just like any other muscle. I'm not sure why we've said that the abs are like special from any other muscle. The anatomy of the abs are pretty much the same in that you load them, you stress them, they have inflammation after you stress them after a workout. In that time period, they need time to recover so that they can get stronger. It's just like any other muscle. So gaining strength in that muscle requires a breakdown of tissue when you're stressing them, when you're working them out, and then giving your body time to rebuild and recover that that tissue back stronger. So working them every day, and I talk about this a lot with overused stuff, could just spin you in that chronic inflammation and not actually move you forward. I think doing 100 crunches a day every day is not appropriate or healthy for your spine either, right? That's a lot of flexion through your spine every day, especially when your abs are, you know, maybe stressed from the day before and healing and maybe a little inflamed. Would you want to do a bunch of crunches and spinal flexion and place force through your spine when your abs are still healing from yesterday? I I don't think that's a smart idea. Um, personally, I don't, you wouldn't do a hundred bicep curls every day and expect your elbow to feel really good, right? So I've said it once and I'll say it again, but repetitive overuse can cause tissue inflammation and a whole host of issues. So I am a believer in working the core or working the trunk like two times a week in my program. We do, um, on Wednesdays, we do core work or trunk work, and then we usually do a little bit on Fridays too. So we give those um, muscles at least a day of recovery. Okay. Myth number four is about planks and it's that Planks are the best exercise for your core and planks do work your abdominals, but only isometrically. So isometrically just means that you're, you're not shortening the origin of the muscle towards the insertion. You're just holding it in one position. So you're not dynamically moving it. And planks can be a great option for someone who is looking to work their trunk, but they maybe have back pain with other trunk exercises or flexion or crunches or whatever. And 
anything where they move away from like a neutral spine is aggravating. So planks might be a great option for someone like that at first, but to get optimal results from training the abdominals, you want to move your muscles dynamically. Your spine is meant to flex and extend and side bend and rotate. It's meant to move away from neutral. And if you can tolerate those movements, we should be doing them in a safe way and we should be dosing them properly, right? So not necessarily stressing your spine muscles every single day, but we should be working them. We should be moving into those movements. So here's a list of my favorite movements of the trunk and my favorite kind of exercises for the trunk. So for flexion, for uh, the abdominals, I like crunches on a ball, like I talked about earlier. For extension, which is your back muscles, I really like cobra on your stomach. For rotation, I like what what I call an oblique twist. You kind of stagger your knees and hips over at an angle and then kind of twist your rib cage open and then, and then back in line with your hips. And we do those a lot in my class in case you're wondering what that is. Um, you can take an Evola class and see. And then side bend. I like, I like two things. I like a, kind of like having a ball or something underneath you're laying on your side. You have a ball underneath your rib cage and you kind of side bend up over that ball. Or I like, to work lats with side bends. So either using a cable or resistance band attached up high and you kind of pull your elbow in at your side and you side bend your body with that. So those are kind of the exercises that I like. Okay, myth number five, are y'all with me still? (laughs) Myth number five is that all exercises are working the core and if you train your legs and your arms, you're probably already doing enough for your core. And as I mentioned before the line of force or the resistance has to be perpendicular to that muscle in order for that muscle to get the best effects from your resistance training. Anytime you're holding a weight and your body is vertical, like if you're doing lunges or if you're standing, if you're doing whatever, your trunk muscles are not placed under a lot of external load. Even if you're moving the arms or the legs, you can tighten your abdominals. Yeah. And like, I guess get the isometric benefit, but they aren't, they won't be substantially worked. So I think, again, as I said earlier, that you shouldn't just think that, oh, working my arms and my legs, I'm doing enough for my core. No, I really do think that you should be loading your trunk muscles individually from your limb exercises, from your arm exercises, and from your leg exercises. Okay, myth number six. We're almost there. (laughs) Myth number six is that balancing and lifting a weight at the same time is working your core. So I wish that killing two birds with one stone in a single exercise was effective, but it just comes with a trade-off. Your body is always trying to seek stability as its number one priority. So when instability is sensed or when your body feels like, Ooh, I might fall over. I'm in, I'm under some danger, whether that's you're trying to balance on a ball and do bicep curls or whether you're standing on one leg and you're doing overhead presses or even doing a compound exercise where there's a lot going on your body will decrease its ability to generate force. So when there's a lot going on and your body senses, there's a lot for me to stabilize here, your force output decreases. You're able to lift less. You're able to load the targeted muscle less than you could if there was less going on. So when your nervous system doesn't feel safe, like, oh my gosh, I've got to stabilize all these areas of my body so she doesn't get hurt. The muscle is not able to operate at its fullest potential and you lose the opportunity to effectively load the targeted muscle. So yes, you may spread your workout between different, or you spread the work between different muscle groups, 
But all of that is kind of getting washed out and no muscle group is really getting great benefit if you're just trying to do a bunch at once, like if you're trying to balance and lift weights at the same time. And you can try this for yourself. So what you can do is do as many bicep curls as you can, just standing flat on two feet, nothing going on in the legs, nice wide stance, feel super balanced, do as many bicep curls as you can using a heavy weight count. And then wait a little while until your muscles aren't, aren't fatigued, let them recover, maybe like a couple of minutes, maybe three minutes, and then try to do that again, bicep curls standing on one foot. And notice which exercise you can do more reps in. You will be at less risk of injury just picking one or the other. So just pick balance or just pick strength. Don't try to combine strength and balance in the same exercise because both ended up end up getting just wishy-washy output and results from that. Okay, so myth number seven is that squats are great for your core, which saves time. And you will often hear that a squat is kind of a catch-all exercise. You'll hear that a squat not only works your legs, but it's also great for your core. So let's break this down. Depending on the angle of your trunk, your back muscles will be loaded and your spine will be compressed if you're holding weight. So some people, depending on their body proportions, will have to lean forward more in their trunk when they squat. So they'll have to lean forward more. They won't be able to keep their chest lifted. And this isn't because of immobility. It's because of literally how their limbs are proportioned and how their body has to fold in order to keep from falling over. So some people will have to kind of bend forward more than others. And the more you bend forward, the more your back will be loaded from the weight that you're holding. So what happens is your abs are not loaded at all. I guess they can brace, but they're not loaded. Your back is actually getting loaded from that exercise, not your abs. So a lot of people think core is abs and they think that squats are also working your abs, which saves time. And this just isn't true. I think that you can get better work for your trunk, your back muscles by, you know, doing a different exercise where you're not also adding the additional compression to your back that heavy squats do. Like if you have a barbell or if you're holding heavy weights, it's a lot of compression through your spine. So I believe in kind of just doing a separate exercise. Also, because your body senses instability, like I talked about, there's a lot going on. You know, you've got, um, your, your nervous system has to stabilize your ankles, your knees, your hips, all of the vertebra in your back, um, and coordinate the movement. Your body can sense instability and you won't yield the greatest strength gains from a squat in your legs and in your core. than if you just separated those two muscle groups out and worked legs in one exercise and worked core in another exercise. And I'm not saying that squats are bad, but I am saying that there are better ways to work your core and to work your legs without the risk of injuring, injuring yourself. Squats work the leg muscles more than the back muscles. So a squat cannot be a substitute for a core exercise. I guess I'll just put it that way. We want to tease them out, right? Squats also have a high risk of injury since the spine is heavily loaded vertically. Like you're holding, if you're doing heavyweight squats, you know, you've either got a bar on your back or you're holding weights. There's a lot of vertical load on your back and then add, you know, leaning forward. It can be a lot of load in through your spine and a lot of people end up um, injuring their backs and their spine. I'm not saying you should be afraid of squatting. I'm just saying that's something to consider. So saving time, bottom line, saving time should never be a reason for doing an exercise if you want the best results, that is. 
Okay, myth number eight is that hanging leg raise raises are a great ab exercise. So a hanging leg raise is when you ha- you have your elbows kind of propped up on something and you're curling your knees kind of toward your chest. You're bringing your knees up toward your chest. Some people do it with straight legs. Some people do it with just bend the knees and bring the knees towards the chest. So the flexors of the hips, so the front side of the hips are actually what's perpendicular to the line of gravity. And the trunk muscles are more or less vertical. Remember how I said when you're standing, your trunk muscles aren't getting very loaded. Yeah. So your trunk muscles are more or less vertical and parallel to the line of force. And therefore they're mainly just bracing and flexing, but they're not getting any external load from that. Although there's a tiny little tuck of the pelvis at the top of that range of motion for most people, the hip flexors are getting loaded much more than the abdominals are. So I would say that that is not a great abdominal exercise. It's a hip flexor exercise more than anything. And listen, there's nothing wrong with working your hip flexors. We want our hip flexors to be strong, just like any other muscle. But if we're targeting the abdominals, again, you might choose something that I think is a little more effective, like a ball crunch. Also, since your psoas is a hip flexor and a trunk flexor, so your psoas muscle is a hip flexor muscle that bends your hip and it also kind of forwardly bends your trunk. This muscle is uh, particularly active and challenged. This exercise would be considered more of a hip flexor exercise than an abdominal exercise. Last thing I'll say about this, don't confuse hard with effective. So just because something is hard and you have to have a lot, lot of focus because there's a lot of moving parts doesn't necessarily mean that it will yield the best results. This hanging leg exercise is very hard. I don't think anyone would debate that, but it's not because it's particularly effective at targeting any one muscle group. It's just because there's a lot of isometric flexing that's going on. Like your shoulder girdle has to work to keep your body up. Um, you're probably really gripping in your hands, whatever you're holding on to. Your hip flexors have to work a lot to raise the weight of your legs and you're bracing in your abs probably as hard as possible. So again, when there's more going on, your nervous system downregulates output and there's less physical benefit to any one individual muscle. So try not to confuse hard with effective. Myth number nine. Leg raises are great for your core. So a leg raise, similarly, a leg raise is when you're on your back and uh, you're lifting your legs. Some people will do it with straight legs and you're just lifting your legs. So leg raises are simply an isometric for your abdominals. Basically, your abdominals just have to flex to keep your trunk from, to keep your low back from peeling off the mat. And this isn't necessarily bad, but it's many times uncomfortable for people. So your psoas, like I talked about earlier, which is a hip flexor, inserts on your lower spine. And as you lower your legs, the psoas actually wants to pull the spine into a back bend, lifting your lower back off the mat. However, you're fighting this by trying to keep your pelvis tucked under. So your body is kind of fighting against each other. Like your psoas is trying to pull your spine up, but your abs are trying to pull pull your spine down. And it just tends to be uncomfortable on people's backs. So... I don't know. I just think this is more of a hip flexor exercise than an ab exercise. And it just tends to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I tend to think if something is uncomfortable, why do it? Choose a different exercise that is comfortable in your body and more effective. Okay. Myth number 10. I feel like I'm talking really fast. Hopefully you guys are following. Myth number 10 is that 
you should never work your hip flexors, tying this all together. Hip flexors play an important role in your posture and in your movement. Bending your hip is an important thing every time you take a step, every time you walk upstairs. And as I mentioned above, the psoas inserts on the lumbar spine or on your low back and helps to provide that kind of natural curve or backbend of your lower back. So weak hip flexors can actually be a contributing factor to a decreased what's called lordotic curve or the posture of your low back and potentially lead to lower back pain. So Definitely, we still want to work our hip flexors. And I am not a big believer in selectively strengthening, meaning like, oh, this muscle is tight, which means I shouldn't work it. Oftentimes, our hip flexors are tight because they're weak and they're poor quality. And they just, they're always in a shortened position and they ne- they've never been fully loaded very well. Um, so they get, they get tight, they forget how to fire properly, and they get painful. So I do definitely believe in working the hip flexors and a lot of exercises, they do get work. So like step-ups, they get work. Um, if you want to target them a little bit more, you could even do single leg marches. So like maintaining kind of your natural low back curve and just march your knee towards your chest. You can add a weight on your thigh or you can add an ankle weight. Okay. There you have it. 10 myths about the core. Hopefully this gave you a little bit more clarity. I think some takeaways are that take time to tease out strengthening your abdominals and strengthening your back. We don't need to overuse them. We don't need to do ab work every single day. We don't need to combine work of our legs and our abs. So if someone's like, you know, you're working your, you're working your leg muscles. You're also working your core. Let the core relax. If you can, if you're in a stable position of the spine, like I always try to cue in my classes, get the spine nice and stable. So you can really focus on output of the muscle you're actually targeting. Because when you do more, you end up washing out kind of everything rather than teasing out and doing separate exercises for each muscle group. So hopefully this gave you some more clarity about how to work the core. And if you want to join Evlo, I think, you know, we work our core very effectively, but without overusing it and without hopefully causing more joint discomfort. So you can join us evlofitness.com, E-V-L-O fitness.com. We work out Monday through Friday. There's a new workout. You can just join along with me. Um, I teach them live, but they all stay recorded to the membership. Our motto is get strong without wearing your body down. All right, everyone, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.